black and white movies this is a podcast where we talk about uh, two movies comparing and contrasting them and i i am jared and with me is daniela oh, that's right. not oh. my name that's not my name okay but that's one way to pronounce yeah. it that's okay and today we're going to be talking about 1995's showgirls and contrasting it there with 1998's players club kick us off with a thought okay sure why not i was probably one of the only people in the world at the time in 1995 to like showgirls but then again i was a dancer so uh, i was a little biased players club was definitely a cult classic with um pretty much every um, black celebrity um, that ever existed and um to this day so it was a pretty interesting they're pretty much interesting comparison. They're pretty uh, light years apart. I see similarities <laughs> and differences. I, I missed both of these movies. I didn't watch them uh, because in, in the 90s, I was a late teenager and I was trying to avoid uh, horny movies. I didn't want to... Oh, yeah. I, the adult kind of thriller, uh, horned up movies, I kind of avoided. And I, j and I never quite went back to many. And it's so I'm still catching up that. now. I didn't realize how much nakedness was in Showgirls until I saw it. Uh, the other day, I was like, "Jeez, it went full Super Monty on this one, right?" Yeah, mm. yeah, and it's um, the sexuality of it is, is very violent sometimes. It is, and okay, well, let's go back to the beginning. Showgirls stars Elizabeth Berkley. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. Okay, good. Jesse from Save the Bell. There you go. And so this was drastic. This was a drastic choice for her at the time. I was there. I don't mind saying it. I I was. In, in it. And so everybody was like, oh, how dare she go from, you know, kids show to uh, complete nakedness and, and anger mm -hmm. and violence and lots of cussing and then strip teasing, which was just unheard of at the time. And so I guess she just wanted to do a breakout. Yeah. And if you watch it just for the dancing, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch it just for the Hollywoodness of it, it is fun. It's a little over the top. Well, excuse me. It's a lot over the top, but Mm -hmm. You know, but that's to me, that's Paul Verhoeven. And I came with so much baggage yes. to this movie because it's it's reputation precedes it. And speaking of uh, Nomi, played by uh, Jesse from Saved by the Bell, Elizabeth Berkley, I thought her performance was kind of delightful. It was always fun. And she was playing this damaged character who's always amped up in 100 as a short fuse that can explode. And the way she played it, she played it like a psychologically damaged person. It wasn't the bad acting I was expecting. It certainly was miles ahead of uh, Saved by the Bell acting. It was. It was a little over the top. Well, it was extremely over the top, especially the, <laughs> ha, you know, yeah, hitting, well, every beating, second she's beating the car. Beating up her shaking food. Shaking and running away. <laughs> she was you know what I mean? Using like, french fries. Exactly. And then she meets her girlfriend or friend and, you know, they meet. And they're instant buddies from like you know yeah. this car and almost car crash it was it was kind of weird but again um, she was running away from a murder suicide of her parents that just happened and she had had um, and you need to go sit down she had been uh being a sex worker on the streets and stuff so right and that was why she was so adamant about not being a hooker and and, and things like that yeah. that come up later in the in the story and again, this is a Paul Verhoeven movie. So if you compare it to Starship Troopers, Total Recall, he is known for that satirical tonal style where 
the acting comes off as cheesy, but it's intentional to serve the tone of the film. I don't think he intentionally did that on this. I think he tried to go straight. Am I, from what I saw, I mean, of course, we watched Starship Troopers and those other movies. He was intentionally kind of playing that that role. But this was like, it looked like, okay, this is my auteur. This is me. I'm going to be serious about it. it. At the time, it reads as campy now, but I, it tried to be serious at the time. And I, it it never made it. It never made the grade. And I don't mm-hmm. think anybody was watching it for a serious um, piece. Some people will come into this for the first time into this podcast and wonder, what the hell are we doing? Well, we mash up uh, unlikely movies. This one, we're doing Showgirls versus Players Club. Mm-hmm. And we are going to analyze how those two blend and cross over. Yeah. If you haven't seen the Players Club, it's also a story about, well, strip. It's, a, it's about a strip club mm-hmm. and a woman played by Lisa McCoy. <laughs> Lisa Ray. Excuse, she would die if I didn't say Lisa Ray. <laughs> the real excuse McRae. me. Lisa Ray McCoy. And you've probably seen her in every black movie there was uh, in the 90s and in early 2000s and TV shows. And she plays um, a college student who is trying to make her way through college. So she's stripping to do so. You know, so those two things are are very, they're similar in the fact that she had an issue with her parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the parents didn't kill each other. And she has, an, she has an issue with her parents. They kick her out. She has to support herself. So uh, she hustles to get there. Single mother. Yeah. yeah, single mom, all that good stuff. Um, so it's similarities in that. Use your body. Use what you got to get what you want. Yeah. And yeah. that's what kind of both end up doing she starts out uh nomi starts out in the, in the strip club so there's similarities there yeah we mentioned um paul verhoven so i want to mention that ice cube wrote and directed the players club which i, I believe it was his first feature film that he directed not wrote but directed and um i'm kind of shocked because comparing them to players club is almost part of it is almost an anthropological study of the culture of a strip club and i got the sense that ice cube or whoever helped him research the movie did a lot of research on just what it feels like to be a woman in a strip club well it's a specific era and in the 90s was when the strip club era in the south particularly atlanta um, began to get popularized so that meaning uh, it was popular all the time but it started to get notoriety through rap music and and things like that so this was shining a light on that culture that is now like pretty much taking over the airwaves Mm -hmm. so that strip culture strip club music that everybody knows so well cardi b and everybody uh city girls that is literally the music that has come out of that culture and it has been grown since so he was shining a light early onto a thing that nobody really knew about yeah and but if you're Ice Cube, why do you cast yourself in that movie as Reggie, one of the most unsympathetic characters ever? He made himself look sometimes like a punk, sometimes like a snitch, and then he literally coordinates a rape in the movie. So it's I on one hand this movie was weird because it felt almost respectful of the women in it and their and went pains to show their perspective, but then he sets himself up to be the most unsympathetic character in the movie. I don't think that the movie holds up. I think it. I think that you had to be there because I think we spoke about this before. 
this quote unquote Me Too era would never allow for pretty much any of these movies mm-hmm. that we saw to exist. So for Players Club and for Showgirls to go so heavy into the psyche of, of women and how, well, they're, they tried to and failed miserably. I think that's because, mm-hmm. you know, you would probably have a totally different movie if you had a, a female director, but, you know, so everything ends up being gratuitous nakedness yeah. <laughs> to yeah. kind of demonstrate something that could be complex. So when Ronnie and, and um, Lisa Ray's character, her name is escaping me right now, have this kind of combativeness. Diamond. Diamond, sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. You could have a lot more depth in it if you were not so interested in what they looked like in the film. Speaking of the relationships, there was kind of a subtextual, strange lesbian fear mongering kind of both. Both of our protagonists had an antagonist to them that was kind of had a sexual menace to them. Oh, right. So Gina Gershon and uh, Ronnie. Yeah. I, I appreciate number one that everything doesn't have to be overt. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it as a meaning they were bad guys. They just happen to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I don't see it as, oh, you know, they're bad because they're gay. Yeah. I thought it was more so that these are the bad guys and they're gay. Well, Ronnie raped uh, Diamond at one point. Yes, that, that no, I, but she was she was clearly a slime ball of, yeah. of all sorts. Like yeah. from the inception, her her life, her brother, her whole entire mm-hmm. family clearly mm-hmm. are, are, you know, horrible, slimy people. So I don't <clears throat> and this is where it goes back to. I don't think that they dove into nuance. It wasn't yeah. for that. It was for comedy. It was for fun. It was for levity. Yeah. So to sit and have a philosophical conversation on Ronnie that clearly wasn't the goal. Yeah. Um, but if you just want to sum something up, yeah, you can just say, okay, well, ooh, the fear of, of, of the gay yeah. or the lesbian or whatever the case may be. But I don't, I didn't see it that way. Well, it's interesting. They both, both these movies came out in the late nineties when kind of culture was opening up and talking about gay rights, gay issues for the first time. And they, and de- being that both of these deal in a sexualized world, it's, notable that they both kind of have this this subtext of lesbian menace kind of to to turn up the volume on the conflict a little bit you know a lot of it does have to do with sexual assault in both of these films which i think it is one of the biggest fears of a woman okay Mm -hmm. so as a woman you are physically most of the time weaker than men Mm -hmm. and that is an ever-present understanding of our daily walk whether you walk outside it it doesn't matter it it follows you everywhere you go and so for that to be highlighted as a natural uh, thing in both episodes you know diamond she feels that same way Mm -hmm. um until she kind of like finally takes her control back in the end right Uh, she's pushed to that that is her character arc to take over her fear from this person who's been kind of like, and it, and it is, it's, I think it's, it was almost refreshing to me that it was a woman as opposed to a man. That could have very easily mm-hmm. been a person in the in the club. It could have been Dollar Bill, right? Yeah. It could have been the DJ, yeah. but they intentionally made it another one of the strippers because that's the environment you're in. So yeah. it is a different look and it was a different take in in terms of that. It's like a workplace rival. Right. 
and I don't want to make this whole episode about the the rape, but just a final point is that I, I think it was a weakness of Showgirls that her friend Molly gets raped by that Kenny G looking jazz guy. Like yeah. he's a character we don't he's mentioned, but we don't see him. And then all of a sudden he comes in as almost a deus ex machina to um, rape her friend at the end and kind of move the plot forward. I just thought the movie would be better as a whole if it was one of our uh, core characters like Kyle MacLachlan's uh, Zach or Tony Moss, someone like that. I have no idea what the point of that was. Like, I don't know why we needed to use that at all yeah. as a a device in this film. She wasn't a, a principal character, a prince, you know, like she wasn't there enough for that to, to need to happen to know, know me. Now, if it had, if it happened to her, yeah, that would make more sense. And then she goes back and kicks his ass. Yeah. Okay. Now we, we, we have something. Um, but for it to happen to Molly, who was already kind of like a, a defeated character as it is, mm-hmm. like what was the purpose of that? I, I couldn't. But then again, I cannot literally, I, it's, I find it very difficult to take either one of these films and just kind of like put them under the microscope. I have to look at them in terms of the era, mm-hmm. within their era, but also within their genre. So I had to ask myself, what is Showgirls trying to do? It's trying to show you that you can rise up from nothing and still win. If you were just going to break it down to bare minimum, what is the point of this movie yeah. that I have to sit here and watch this girl literally give a lap a, a documentary style lap dance? <laughs> like, um, what you know? What am I need? What do I need to see this for? That's her way to to come up, right? Yeah. That was actually her audition to get to where she wanted to be. When she got there for the first time, and Molly takes her in, you know, she wanted to be on that stage, and so this was her journey. That is the total same thing. It, it was the identical plot in Players Club. What does she want to do? She wants to ultimately finish school, finish college, support her child, mm-hmm. have this wonderful life. So she left the shoe store <laughs> to be able to afford the life that it would allow her to get through college and do that. The trajectory on the path on the way up. So I think they both had similar themes. How they got to those themes mm-hmm. were very different and in a little clunky. And I think Nomi and Comic Lachlan, they both probably injured a pelvic bone on this movie. <laughs> There's a lot of like groin <laughs> groin thrusting to groin like, here under waterfalls and it was just I mean I was like Agent Cooper, no. <laughs> it's Agent Cooper with Jesse from Save by the Bell. Super so bizarre. Weird. Glenn Plummer uh, not for nothing. He was like, oh, oh, oh. He was popping every single move. It was he was a very interesting character. His, char- his character, like what I re- kind of liked about this movie, is even the most sympathetic men's li- like uh, Glenn Plummer's character or like Comic Lachlan's character, who at points was kind of sympathetic and nice. They all had ulterior motives, and they were all shady as hell. So even like, like men. Like even <laughs> James, who you kind of rooting for him for a minute, like, oh, he wrote her a song and this and that. That's I his know. play. Oh. And he's totally playing her. Then when you finally see his dog shit artistic piece, it's just him getting a lap dance in a club. And it's supposed to be this artistic expression. And those dance moves weren't that great. 
I agree. I think that first of all, I don't think any of the dance moves were great. Like, no, no. they weren't. They were horrible. They were really fast. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, they were fast <laughs> and slow, fast. And I'd love to. I think Elizabeth Berkeley gets unfair, unfairly blamed for her dancing in this. But if you look, everyone's dancing was kind of like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So whoever was in, responsible for choreography in this movie was just doing a bad job. Well, I can honestly say I've never seen a showgirls uh, a show at in Vegas. So mm -hmm. maybe that's true to form. Maybe that's the style. Maybe that's how fast and how you know. Yeah. You know, it has to be. I, oh, I lied. I saw Blue Man Group. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, the the term that came to mind when I was watching this movie is Nude Man Group. It just seemed like <laughs> yeah, okay. Like I, who who's the, what, what was the audience for the show? Just like half naked people in front of volcanoes? No. If you're gonna go to a club, you'd rather go to that cheetah club where it's just all out there. Yeah. Well, this it was pretty much the same thing. That was kind of the the takeaway, wasn't it? Was that her speaking to Nomi? in uh, showgirls was that you still are the same person mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you're dancing mm -hmm. up here on the stage at the stardust or whether you are yeah you know stripping and licking a stripper pole mm -hmm. in you know who knows what strip joint yeah it's it's the same person it's who you who are you yeah is the question right yeah and Players Club was much less gratuitous there wasn't as much nudity here and there but I thought it treated the culture of the exotic dance business a bit uh, in a much more interesting way than showgirls. I got a real sense of you had uh, Jamie Foxx as the DJ, you had Bernie Mac as the owner, you had the bouncer, you, and you had the regular customers. You kind of got a sense for how the whole the culture of it works. works. together, yeah. yeah. Well, quick question, though. How did you relate to the players club in terms of all the, do you, did you find it to be a story that was realistic, like something that could happen um, as opposed to showgirls, like showgirls seems more fantasy. Yeah. Well, we'll say the volume was turned up but players club did seem more in the real world up until the end where you get Charlie Murphy shooting a bazooka into the, like, you know, a rocket line. I don't think Charlie yeah. Murphy shooting the rocket launchers exactly all that. <laughs> But the the behind the scenes, I appreciated that it wasn't just like, oh, the women are all catty to one another. That mm -hmm. you had you had cliques that were lifting each other up. You had people who were all about that that stripper lifestyle. It seemed all more realistic to me. Even Dollar Bill, Bernie Mac's character, he wasn't just a straight up villain. He was an invested owner of this business. He thought he was treating women right, but he thought he was strict. And he didn't really know everything that was going on behind the scenes between them. It all seemed very realistic to me in, yeah. to an extent. Sure. And it was fun. I mean, the, the, the takeaway is it was a fun ride. I think that now looking at it, it's a little bit difficult to watch with the voiceover guiding you through the whole thing. That's that's a little annoying and played. But mm -hmm. at the time, it probably was a lot more refreshing to me, I yeah. think. Um, I don't like to be spoon fed like that anymore. Yeah. And um, I didn't need to see the ashes at the club at the beginning because then I was right. just expecting, oh, when's it going to when burn gonna down? When's it going to happen? Exactly. And then, by the way, so many firearms are shot in this movie just like 
willy-nilly like she, they're shot in her apartment shot in the she club she shot a lot didn't she like you <laughs> could have killed a whole a whole sets of people and you this. see where she gets it from with her dad just shooting in the backyard and i'm like <laughs> just like what the heck that is when when you see her dad shooting in the backyard to jamie fox it's like oh all of a sudden he's an engaged uh overbearing father when he like had the choice to support her through college but just because she wanted to go to a historically black college he's like no no you have to go to a white college or and he kicks her out because of that, but he doesn't mind that she's working as a um, professional exotic dancer. Yeah, I think that that it, you could replace any of those things. So yeah, HBCUs are um, a contentious debate in a lot of households, particularly for boomers, right? Okay. But uh, I think that you can replace that with anything. Like, no, I want cheese on my toast. Oh no, I want jelly. Right. Because it's because it's it's the combativeness of, you know, the strong will of the daughter versus the dad. So you're going to do what I say because you're my daughter, not necessarily the what. But yes, if we're going to break it down in terms of culture, the standard I wanted to go to an HBCU. um, I wanted to leave like the rest of my friends and go see what that life is like. So that's a conflict in their parents aren't just happy like oh you're going to college great no well i'll I'll say it and not necessarily now a lot of people who went through hbcus are definitely uh proponents of their kids following their foot in their footsteps and i think they're wonderful i hope my kid wants to go to an hbcu but he um, may not right it is one of the places where you can feel insulated uh, to free to be yourself and to grow as a young adult uh, outside of the guise of the white world, mm-hmm. right, that you live in. And so a lot of times that takes a lot of focus and not and to be able to keep that from getting distracted like that. For me, it would have been a complete culture shock, like a lot of people mm-hmm. who came from, from, from this area or from a, an area that's predominantly you know, filled with other cultures, mixed race, mostly white. Um, And so that was definitely a thing that my grandmother was like, hey, are you sure? You know, Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm sure. But I ended up staying because it was, I wanted to go into film and television and it didn't make sense. So, but, but it is a definitely an argument that happens very often. Oh. that some are for it, some are, and it, and sometimes it happens completely the other way, right? Where yeah. you need to go to this place. You can go do Columbia or Brown or whatever after you graduate for your undergrad, but for um, um but for undergrad, you need to get that kind of history. Well, hey, I learned something from the Players Club. You're welcome. So tell me, why uh, why does everyone trip out when uh? Luke from Two Live Crews in the building, and they're not just why don't don't stop, kitty, kitty. Why aren't they like uh, Ice Cube's right there, and the whole soundtrack is all his songs? Why are they tripping out on? Hey, he was just a scrub that lived in the neighborhood. He wasn't Ice Cube fool. (laughs) I think if you're playing a character in the movie, I don't. It's weird to hear you're on the soundtrack, and then I'm looking at your face playing a different character. You know that now, in like you're watching a movie, you have seen. Beyonce in a movie singing something and it was her voice, but you're not like, oh, that's Beyonce. You're like, that's Etta James. That's just weird to me, though. You've seen, (laughs) 
Okay. Um, I think we're going to need to take you a little bit further down the rabbit hole, but whatever. But they were flipping out that Luke from Two Life Crew was there. But it was Uncle Luke. All right. <laughs> well, you know what? Okay. So I would have the- been excited to see Ice Cube there, personally. Well, first of all, Luke is like the author of strip culture, right? right. So Miami and that whole scene down yeah. there, he birthed yeah. uh, strip club music. Okay. So for him to come, it's like, oh, let me not do that. Uh, let me think of another analogy. Somebody really important yeah. <laughs> came down from high and he came to our little strip club. So it was a big deal. Okay. So tell me, <laughs> why is everyone uh, mean to tricks in this movie? Like she obviously has a turn at the end where she's on Ronnie's side. Ronnie's size. But I, I did not like the scenes where she came out to dance and everyone just boos her and walks away and everyone's. I couldn't understand why she was getting such vitriol. Because uh, she was brown skin. She's dark skin. And um, in unfortunately, in black culture, there's a lot of colorism. And if you haven't noticed that the people who were the attractive or more so, you know, desirable women in this movie, Diamond, uh, Ronnie even, right? And then all of a sudden, Adele Givens' character, she's, you know, she, aside from the fact that she came out on the stage and fully clothed in the strip club, Mm -hmm. you know, there is nothing wrong with her. There was absolutely nothing wrong with her. And, um, you know, I think that that device is being used over and over again. So your favorite Good Times dad was in the movie. John Amos, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But this has happened over and over again. So you have it from Sanford and Son. You have it, you know, aside from Esther Roll in Good Times, Mm -hmm. you have this contentious debate, even Martin and Gina. You have this dark skin versus light skin women and their attractiveness to the male gaze Mm -hmm. um, as you know, this, this contentious fight. And it's interesting that you bring it up because I, I didn't bother to, uh, I'm so used to seeing it, I yeah. guess that um, I've been socialized to think that that's normal and it's not, it's not normal. It's not okay. As a, a chocolatier um, person, you know, I have had this standard typical, you're, you're pretty to be dark mm-hmm. skin conversation um, it's like an exception somehow, which is ridiculous and, and disrespectful. So um, that is very common. And it was on front front and center stage, even with yeah. the cousin who yeah. was brown skin. She's a hoe. She's she's you know, she's right on the edge. She's right on the edge mm-hmm. of that color spectrum where she could be a little cute, but not as wonderful and desirable as yeah. as Diamond. Right. So this happens pretty much. Without fail in in most films, even today. Yeah, I'll just go on record and say I don't like that. Okay, yeah. That, was, that, was that would make up. look, we agree. <laughs> it is super fucked up. Like it is not okay. And unfortunately, if you paid attention more, you'd see it in everything. Okay, well I'll I'll pay attention more when yeah. I watch things. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, is there. Now, it's funny you say that because I want to go back to color because we we are going to really dive into this a little bit later. But in Players Club, it was pretty much all black, which is yes, very almost. rare. Except for some of the cops. 
um, in the extra cops because you only had two cops. You had Faison and you had John Amos. Well, the players' club was policed by black cops, but then when um, Reggie and Diamond go to strip at the house, and it's all white cops. Yes. You you get that goofy-ass white cop who's at the buffet, and then he goes, ooh, and comes over and gets the lap dance, and he's mugging. Well, you know, that slave master. uh, It's it's super creepy, like... Oh, I can't even take that. I guess it was kind of cathartic to see her whipping his ass with a paddle, but at the same time, it was like really demeaning to her and kind of fucked up with the movie. So I didn't know what kind of feelings to have. Yeah, you probably want to check those out. Don't no feelings <laughs> because it it's all it was all pretty bad. It had the whole little slave mentality thing, like ooh, whoop me. I, I can't. Well, maybe the movie maybe wanted to just... be funny though about it, but it. It was and it was on one level funny, but one level like, uh, this is just sad. Well, I think it was trying to make her be a boss, like she's a, this dominatrix and can rule and command a room. It was in contrast really to um the cousin, which I keep forgetting her name. Remember how prim and, and proper she was uh, Ebony. Ebony. Remember how prim and proper she was in the best man, and then mm-hmm. of course we have her here, uh, playing a completely opposite role. Yeah. But she, it was, it was kind of to show that she couldn't do the same thing. So she couldn't come into that bachelor party and just take take control like Ronnie. Yeah. Right. So that was kind of what that felt like it was supposed to be set up to show, as opposed to, you know, the <laughs> really disrespectful, weird, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. But you were going to say something about how there's no, oh. not really a white presence in the Players Club. Well, yeah. So a lot of movies, black movies, feel obligated uh, to include a primary character that, that is white. Mm-hmm. And this one didn't fall into that trope, probably because it was self-financed um, by Ice Cube. And, and when that happens, same with Friday, came out yeah. the same year. It's it, it, it clearly said, this is about us. This is for us. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't cater to anything. It was kind of like bringing in uh, other cultures. Like, if you want to see this, this is what we're doing. We're not doing it for your sake. Yeah. Right. Showgirls kind of did the same thing, right? With this is, we're not talking about race, culture, even with the Glenn Plummer yeah. character. He wasn't black. He wasn't white. He was just yeah, the, the crummy, you know, the, yeah. the, the seedy guy who, you know, wants to pick up on women with his dance moves, his really yeah. sharp dance moves, right? And her friend Molly. It's just these are all characters. Race doesn't play into it. Right. And so I, I think that when you're doing something that's geared toward the quote-unquote mainstream, uh, they do try and look away from that race yeah. out, outwardly this is a black person like you know yeah. and this is the white person they don't they don't do that so no no token white people in players club but what i wasn't psyched on was the cover of players club you got bernie mac on there you got ice cube on there um you don't have our main character diamond on the cover prominently at least and so I wasn't expecting this to be such a female-centric story, but it really is. Where I never noticed that. And I was impressed by the movie in that it was very sympathetic to the women, and I felt it had almost a feminist point of view. And it had it had this weird mash of a total male gaze plus a feminist point of view, 
underneath it, uh, which I appreciated, but there seemed to be like an internal conflict to this movie. This was uh, Lisa Ray's first movie. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that speaks to your box cover because uh, having had a thousand arguments over who we going to put on the cover, that is yeah. standard. Who who is going to sell the movie? We're we're selling the soap. Let's not forget. Nobody cares about entertainment. <laughs> well, you know me. It's all about the cover. I want a good cover. I want a good poster <laughs> to the right. movie. Of course. As if I've already decided. Forget the movie. Let's work on the cover. I already Let's... know if I like or hate a movie by the cover. Right, because that's how you you said you don't watch trailers, right? So... I, I want to look at a good poster, a good cover. Oh Lord. Okay. Well, good luck with that. So, yeah. It's super awkward how much Jamie Foxx enjoys his smoothie in this movie. They didn't go out for like a cocktail, not even a milkshake. They specifically went to for a smoothie in the 90s where I don't think Jamba Juice was even a huge thing yet. No, it was very new. As a matter of fact, that was when Jamba Juice came out. You know how I know that? I worked at J. Crew. Yeah. And it literally opened in 1995 <laughs> across the street. I used to drink them every day. Yeah. They were like cheap, $3. Like ah. that was expensive then. But it was actually a thing. That was when Jamba Juice started. We could probably look I it up. I was thinking, like, does Ice Cube have shares in this or something? Because <laughs> Jamie Foxx and Diamond, they're like, hmm. Look, founded in 1990. <laughs> this is a delicious smoothie. And Jamie Foxx does that face. I'm like, why, oh, why are they hilarious. enjoying this smoothie so much? It was troubling to me. It was me. brand new. We definitely didn't do smoothed out juices oh. back in the day. So I have a question for you. I don't know too much about wigs. Are, oh, was Lord. Ronnie's wigs bad? <laughs> the funny thing is actually they're not as bad as Tyler Perry movie wigs, but uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. Some of her wigs I thought were awful, but I'm, I don't want to come put myself across as an expert on this. Uh, I think that she was intentionally meant to be over the top. Like, okay. I don't, I don't feel like they really were trying, like I, I, I can clearly remember watching a scene of her with that little red hat <laughs> walking yeah. out. I just felt like she just looked so stupid. Um, and that, you know, that's distracting. Great yeah. body. She was ready. She was walking out. But why did you have on that little tiny hat on top of this weird wig? So I, I just feel like it was kind of charactered in this um, in this movie, just kind of like how they showed her in particular. Um, everybody else was fairly normal, right? Yeah. But her, they they really stuck on the blonde. They stuck on the the outfits you know she was very gaudy with the nails and the hair and the lipstick so i i think that was intentional but yeah the wigs were bad well i have a question for you okay showgirls mm -hmm. did it seem strange to you that gina gershon's am i saying her name correctly probably gina gershon's yes. character was grooming her replacement and did she know it did you think that she felt like i'm gonna i'll bring you on but you're not as good as me or did you think she always knew that nomi could take her place i think she didn't know it i think that and she didn't know it until she fell down the stairs and realized it had happened she was so quickly replaced and it and the events of this movie happen fast too so it's like she's really she really rises to the top of the of the food chain there it, within what seems like two weeks. 
But I don't think uh, Gina Gershon's character, uh, Crystal, I don't think she realized it until she was in that hospital bed. I felt like this, some, this was an interesting thing about it for showgirls and for a lot of movies is that sometimes you're, you do self-sabotage. So even though you may think you're the best, mm -hmm. but you always want to put that to the test. Yeah. So I think that was a, a fascinating thing. I remember clearly when I first watched it, like, why would you, you know, why would you keep bringing her on? I know she was attracted to her and she liked her and she wanted her to be around, mm -hmm. but it was more so like she was, playing with fire so she was trying to find out am i really the best yes right okay you see what i mean yeah. like um if i am really the best and i think this girl is good mm -hmm. then i wouldn't be afraid to go up against her yeah and it's a world where no matter how good you are and respected in your role as a woman you are still going to be lesser than the men behind the scenes so in that case they will never be you'll never be the tony moss guy You'll never be the Al Torres who own the Cheetah Club, and you'll never be the uh, Zach. The people Kyle's who character. wear all the clothes in the yeah. movie. Exactly. So you'll never be the people who wear clothes. Yeah. Like if you don't have on clothes, we don't have anything to talk to you about. Yeah. Yeah. And that um, that is a problem for me. Just in general, I think that women have you know now is just a different kind of time frame that we're in. But to look at women as objects like that, as often as people do, it doesn't matter whether a woman is fully clothed or whether a woman is butt naked, or excuse me, buck naked, right? Uh, it doesn't matter that you're going to always end up being looked at in that way. And uh, men can pretty much get away with always being fully clothed, always you know never having to uh be looked at or judged on that on that level and this goes for both players club and for showgirls and and so sometimes i wonder myself like okay if the roles were reversed since you don't see anything with it you don't mm -hmm. see anything wrong with it you know let's let's see what that life is like yeah. i keep on all my clothes and you're butt naked let's see what happens mm -hmm. yeah and that's why uh, Nomi decides she gets everything she wants and then just walks away from it because she kind of realizes uh, she realizes what's happening. And in Players Club, uh, Diamond helps her cousin, Ebony, go go where, back to where she started at working in the shoe store. With the world's worst makeup job. Um... The Oh, the... The I'm injured makeup. Yeah, like, a spoiler oh my God, alert. She needs to be in a hospital, not like selling a shoe right now. She can't even talk. Like, how did you just hurry up and get this job? She looked like a chipmunk with a baseball in its cheek. I was like, if this, I could do that makeup job. Like, I would totally be able to do that. You yeah. know what I mean? But hey, that was quite shout out to Ice Cube for that, huh? Hmm? Yeah, it's like let the woman recover before she moves on to selling shoes. <laughs> yeah, well. As they say in Players Club, everybody got something to say. So what do you have to say? I have to say that you do have to use what you got to get what you want. <laughs> Definitely. I think everybody does anyway, don't they? Yeah, there I like go. that. So, yeah. I, yeah, I'm always shaking my money maker. That's but... right, because you're smart. And uh, so what, what do you think is the wokest and the wackest of these? 
I'm definitely going to have to go with Showgirls as the wackest. Not because it's whack, but because I'll just... First of all, let's go ahead and give our shout out to Ice Cube for casting like the most phenomenal um, set of people in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like ever, right? The cast have, is amazing. You have an amazing cast um, that holds up to this day. We are like so far away from this cast and the people have gone on to do yeah. such like amazing things and and so even terrence howard terrence howard right <laughs> exactly like um uh, bernie mag god rest the dead and um even the the, the ezel character um, that's not his name in this movie because i'm really horrible at, at these names but there were there were really it was really a delightful cast to watch even today uh, phase on love is good i love phase on but Please. I like his, uh, to me, his most entertaining work is the security footage of him beating a car valet down. No, his most entertainment work <laughs> was him saying, in the name of Solange, <laughs> I can't, like, he's hilarious. He's definitely one of my favorite comedians. Oh, and shout out to Oren Williams, who was in my movie back then. Um, he played the little uh, diamond son and love Oren. He's a sweetheart. What's he like to work with? Oh, he's he's the, like the nicest young man you ever wanted to meet. And grew up to be such a handsome kid. Yeah. So um, he's a great guy. Hire him. He needs to get way more work. He's doing well. And uh, keep him going. Oren Williams. He's awesome. Yeah. And this is a tough one for me because both movies are highly enjoyable. But I got I gotta say I preferred Showgirls on a filmmaking level. I thought I'm a huge fan of Paul Verhoeven and this to me surprisingly rises to like the god tier Paul Verhoeven of like up there in the top five of, of his movies. Um he's he obviously likes um females boobs and he showcases them in a lot of movies, which I think is kind of weird and He's kind of telling on himself there, and that maybe he wasn't breastfed. That's certainly in this movie, but <laughs> other than other than that, like this film has, as both movies kind of do, it has a a feminist subtext to it, and I just found uh, Showgirls a little bit more. I don't understand why you say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think how it's, could you? How do you think that either one of these movies has a feminist subtext? Yeah, like I. I'm no feminist, yeah. um, clearly, but I just don't. I, 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 I'm lost on that. I don't what? know how you. I have to qualify you being it as the closest feminist that I know. I don't know how you find this. Well, I have to qualify it as this being the '90s too, and we've come a long way since then. But and this also being made by two men who would I, I would never think of as being feminist, but both stories kind of to me impress me at how they made pains to okay. have that female perspective and not just gotcha. den not denigrate the women in the movie. You want they were they were trying to make the women the boss. Yeah. badasses yeah. in the movie from from your point of view. Gotcha. Now did they okay. now did they do a no, awesome bang up job? No, but they get an gotcha. E for effort on that. That was that was why I wanted to understand where you were going with that. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, we were back at the wokest and the wackest. Yeah. I interrupted, but I, I got clarity. I'm just going to say it. Showgirls is the wokest because I enjoyed it 10% better. But they're both, yes. they both have their whack side. 
not a big fan of the the rape as like a device to close out your conflicts and plot, but in a light comedy, in a, <laughs> in a lighthearted in comedy. either like a, this satirical movie or a lighthearted comedy, like not a huge fan of that, but both are highly entertaining movies worth a watch. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm just going with the nostalgia, but um, I don't think either one of them are whack. I don't think either one of them are woke for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Uh, any final thoughts? You got to use what you got to get what you want. Yeah. Use what you got to follow us on. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Tell your friends. And if you got feedback for us, email us at blackandwhitemoviespodcast at gmail.com. We have taken uh, suggestions. Like this, I believe, was a suggestion from Demario. This was. He got his episode. First suggestion, first episode. So if you email us us a a pair-up, we might just do it on the podcast. Also, um, you can find us on iTunes now. So we are on iTunes. Yeah. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us, uh, like us on that platform. Thank you. Bye-bye.